When looking at all of the defections from recent weeks, some people would think that South Carolina's offense is going to struggle against Notre Dame's defense. And I don't think that's the case. Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Line, and as always, thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your audio podcasts daily. We are now just a little over 48 hours away from a Carolina kickoff down in Jacksonville, Florida, as the Gamecocks, of course, are going to be taking on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish on Friday afternoon. And with just a couple days left before the final game of the 2022 season, it's time to do a deeper dive into the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Who the Gamecocks are going to be facing? What are they going to be facing from a personnel and schematic standpoint on both sides of the ball? We're going to start that conversation on today's edition of Locked On Gamecocks with Notre Dame's defense. So when looking back at a couple games from the 2022 season to try to get a gauge of what Notre Dame is going to be bringing to the field on Friday afternoon when they play South Carolina, my overall thought was this. The secondary for Notre Dame seems like they could bring some challenges for South Carolina. But on the flip side of the coin, I am not very impressed with the Fighting Irish's defensive front. And in my opinion, when you look back at some of their games from the regular season, you can tell this by the way that Notre Dame's defense plays. So you might be asking, well, Andrew, how do they play? Well, here is the gist of it. Notre Dame has a heavy use of blitzes that they use on their defense. And they run these blitzes out of multiple formations, a nickel defense, a 3-3-5 formation, and a 3-4 formation. And these formations are dependent on the opponent and matchup that they have on that given day. But they did this both against Boston College, who was absolutely atrocious this season, and BYU, who finished 6-6, six and six, but are considered to be one of the better teams, at least in college football, when you look at like the past five, six years or so. Now, I went back and watched both of these specific games to, again, see what it is that they do. And here is what they do when they blitz opponents. They use a mixture of six-man all-out blitzes. They use some twists. They'll use some cross blitzes with both of their linebackers that are sort of hovering five yards away from the line of scrimmage. They'll use some disguised blitzes, which at times will involve maybe a nickel corner from the formation. And they'll also at times give you some unbalanced looks. To sum up everything I just said, basically, Notre Dame wants to confuse the opposing offensive line and their quarterback, and they like to combine these blitzes with a lot of man coverage that they will run with their secondary, which I do believe, admittedly, is in part because they have confidence in their guys on the back end. Now, what does it mean for Notre Dame's defense if they are blitzing so much in all of these contests? Well, What I think it means is this. There is no consistent playmaker or game wrecker that the Notre Dame Fighting Irish possesses in their defensive front. 
especially when you consider the fact that star edge defender Isaiah Foskey has opted out of this bowl game and is preparing for the NFL draft. And basically, it seems like the majority of the time, the defensive front for Notre Dame has to win their battles through the scheme that is implemented by the coaching staff and well-timed play calls. Not because they just flat out have certain guys that are just so talented that no matter what play call is thrown out there, they can make a play on just about any given snap. Now, obviously, those kind of players do not grow on trees. But my point with mentioning all this is when you look at a Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team, you can normally point out a couple of guys on both sides of the ball that are probably going to be first-round draft picks. And that's been the case, of course, with their tight ends in recent years. They've had some really good safeties that they put in the NFL the last few years as well. The most recent example, I believe, being Kyle Hamilton, who was drafted in the first round, I think, to the Baltimore Ravens. This past NFL draft, they put some good running backs in the NFL. Notre Dame, of course, is one of the better programs in all of college football. And they usually show that with the players they have taking the field. But this year, at least when just looking at the small sample size that I had with the Boston College and BYU games, that doesn't seem to be the case with Notre Dame's defense. So when taking all of this into account, how could South Carolina's offense attack the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Well, the first thing I would do if I was South Carolina's offensive coaching staff would be this. I would utilize the heck out of play action rollout and bootleg passes. This is, of course, a concept I've mentioned now multiple times throughout the entire football season on this podcast, so I would assume the majority of y'all know by now what I am talking about. And I think, basically, these concepts should substitute for the max protection play-action passes that South Carolina is obviously not going to be able to run in this game because of the fact that they literally only have one scholarship tight end left on this roster in Nate Atkins. But admittedly, at least compared to about three or four days ago, I don't think that the lack of tight ends for South Carolina in this game is now going to hurt them as much as maybe I once thought. Another thing I would do if I was South Carolina, I would definitely try to come up with a good mixture of some screen passes on the edge and some slant and angle routes to try to attack the middle of the field. Notre Dame's linebackers, not going to say that these guys cannot handle coverage responsibilities, not going to say that these guys can't run sideline to sideline, but I do believe that these guys, based on both the scheme and somewhat the personnel, can be a bit susceptible to those things. So if South Carolina were to attack the edge with some bubble screams, with maybe some three wide receiver trip sets to one side of the field, I think they could see some success in that aspect. I think they could definitely see some success on some slant passes on, say, some first and tens, because the thing is, Notre Dame doesn't just blitz on, say, third and long or obvious passing downs. They will sometimes also blitz on first and ten. They will vary up the timing of their blitzes, again, just to simply try and throw the offense that they're facing for a loop. So South Carolina, in my opinion, needs to do all of those things in order to try to exploit that, make them a little more gun-shy to blitz, and therefore give Spencer Rattler a lot more time to work within the pocket so that he's not having to, you know, again, go off script, at least for the majority of the contest, to try to make things happen. And the other thing that I noticed from this Fighting Irish defense, specifically from the BYU game, was that the Fighting Irish's interior defensive linemen were being driven, and I mean just driven, off the line of scrimmage constantly on running plays when they were facing BYU's offensive line. And I went and looked at Notre Dame's three primary defensive tackles to see what their size was in terms of weight. And here were the numbers that I found. 
310 pounds, 285 pounds, and 276 pounds. That was the listed weight for all three of Notre Dame's primary defensive tackles. Now, South Carolina's interior on the offensive line, when you look at Ja'Kai Moore, Eric Douglas, and Javon Gwynn, between the three of those guys, they all weigh on average 300 pounds. So, I know that the running back room has been decimated because of the transfer portal, in a sense. I know that Christian Bill Smith is still dinged up, but I think that this coaching staff needs to let Christian Bill Smith and Rashad Amos both take some simple inside handoffs. Just let them run up the middle, try to utilize some combo or duo blocking schemes from the interior offensive linemen to try and get something going there because I think there might be a chance to see that open up against Notre Dame's defense. So overall, my bottom line with what I think South Carolina's offensive plan of attack should be in this game, don't abandon the idea of running the football And let Spencer Rattler get out of the pocket and feast on the man coverage that Notre Dame runs. Because, of course, the thing with blitzing more often in college is you're going to see a lot of man coverage that is paired up with that. And if Notre Dame can't get home on their blitzes and South Carolina, with some of the good athletes they got on the edge in this game, can get out ahead of these defensive backs and Rattler can get away scot-free, that is going to bode to be um, a lot of trouble for Notre Dame and is going to bode well on the flip side of the coin for South Carolina. So, that is what I think South Carolina should do against Notre Dame's defense. Now, speaking of defense, yesterday, one important player in South Carolina's defensive front was asked about his future decision on whether or not he'll go pro, if he'll go to the NFL draft. What did he say? We're going to dive into that entire discussion in just a couple moments right here on Locked on Gamecocks. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. Now, I put this out here on Twitter earlier in the week, and based on looking at the recent odds for the Gator Bowl, it seems like everything is pretty much status quo. The spread right now still has the Gamecocks as a two-point underdog against Notre Dame. The money line, in terms of just picking South Carolina to win outright, is right now listed at plus 112 odds, and the over-under for this game is listed at 51 and a half points so if you're trying to you know again get some easy money on any of these numbers go ahead and put that out there because obviously these odds could very well change over the next couple of days bet online continues to be your number one source for sports betting info stats news and analysis where you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there you can do football you can do hoops you can do soccer and esports bet online has got it all if you love sports podcasts you can find that at bet online as well who continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix in. So head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more because Bet Online is where the game starts. Welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today, where the biggest stories around the sports world take place in 20 minutes or less. Plus, you'll get instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Now let's talk about Jordan Birch and the upcoming decision that he's going to have to make eventually regarding whether or not he is going to stay at South Carolina for a fourth year 
or if he is going to go ahead and test the waters and head on to the NFL. Now, he was asked about this impending decision after practice on Tuesday afternoon by some of the local media reporters from the Columbia area. And when asked if he's made a decision, Jordan Birch plainly stated, quote, I haven't made a decision yet. He was then asked a follow-up question where the reporter asked him what's going to play into his decision. And when asked that question, Jordan Birch said the following, talk to my mom and my coaches and see what's best for me. See how that process works and then see what's best for me. Now, the interesting thing here with this entire situation surrounding Jordan Birch potentially heading on to the NFL is that his upcoming decision has greatly flown under the radar so far this postseason or this bowl season. And I think there's a couple reasons why that's the case. First of all, obviously, between him and Spencer Rattler and, you know, which guy's going to come back, you know, not to say that, of course, it doesn't matter if Jordan Birch comes back or not, but there's going to just be a lot more inherent intrigue and interest regarding Spencer Rattler coming back to play for South Carolina next year or potentially heading on to the NFL. Another reason why is there's been multiple other guys from the defensive side of the ball who have already opted out and are moving on to the NFL. Guys like his fellow trenchman and Zach Pickens. Cam Smith over at the nickel corner spot has already announced that he is going pro. Darius Rush has opted out of this game. Gilbert Edmond entered the transfer portal about a week and a half ago. So when you look at all of these news pieces that have occurred or that are currently ongoing here at South Carolina, it's not really as much of a shock when you wonder why Jordan Burch's decision hasn't garnered a lot more storylines here in the Columbia media circle. Now, I say all that to get into the following question. What do I think Jordan Birch should do? Now, of course, I'm going to preface what my answer to that question is by saying this. Obviously, this is Jordan Birch's final decision. I'm by no means saying whether or not, you know, if he decides to go, I'm not going to criticize him and say that that's the wrong decision. If he decides to come back, vice versa. I'm not going to do that to him. Obviously, he is just a college kid who is still trying to figure out a lot of different aspects of his life. It's very clear based on the answers he gave to the reporters on Tuesday that there's a lot that he's going to consider in terms of input and what his potential options are when he makes his final decision. So just want to make that abundantly clear so that no one sits here and thinks that, you know, Andrew's trying to tell Jordan Birch, who was a way better athlete than he could ever want to be in his life, what he should do with his football career. Not saying that. Just want to dive into this strictly for conversation purposes. So, now that I've gotten that out of the way, let's get back to the question at hand. What do I think Jordan Birch should do? In my personal opinion, I think that Jordan Birch should come back for one more season. And the main reason why I say that is this. I think that Jordan Birch could do a little bit better in terms of rush defense. Now, obviously, you know, he's probably not the only defensive lineman that could do better in that aspect. But the main thing that I noticed with Jordan Birch playing that weak side defensive end position majority of the time, whenever there's a running play that is taking place, and especially on plays where there is potentially multiple rushing threats, so a la basically some option plays, the thing that I've noticed about Jordan Birch's game is there are a lot of times where Jordan Birch in those situations seems to overcommit 
to one specific look or one specific rushing threat. So again, could be someone that is an option person, could be maybe a guy that is in motion. And that garners a lot of his attention for just enough time to where he ends up working himself sort of out of the play. And again, that's not to say that Jordan Birch is the only defensive lineman on this team that does that, and he's certainly not the only defender in college football that does that. But it is something, of course, that when it comes to the NFL, one of the things that you have to be good at is you have to be good at making at least the right decision most of the time. Lamont Paris said this best when he was talking at a post-game press conference not too long ago after the men's basketball team had just played. And he said that there's a difference between playing well and performing well. And the difference that he was talking about is this. When a person plays well, they make pretty much all the right decisions, all the correct decisions that they possibly could have made throughout the course of, in this case, the basketball game. So they played well. Now, the difference between that and performing well is if you perform well, you not only made the right decisions pretty much the majority of the time, but you also were able to execute when you needed to make a certain move or when it was up to you to make the play. And I think that based on that analogy, that Jordan Birch could play a little bit better in terms of his rush defense. Now, obviously, Jordan Birch has got a lot of pluses to his game. He's got, of course, very high-level athleticism. There's very few defensive ends out there that can move like Jordan Birch can. He's got a variety of pass rush moves as well, which is something that would be valued a great deal by NFL scouts because that means that, of course, he's more, quote-unquote, NFL-ready, which sometimes is code for they don't have to spend as much time developing guys in their first or second year, quite honestly. And the other thing about Jordan Birch is he does have a high motor. So as much as sometimes he might end up working himself out of a play on accident, or maybe just because he reads something the wrong way, he always is busting his tail trying to get himself back into a play and sometimes ends up making tackles from behind the ball carrier. So he does give 100% effort on every given play. So Jordan Birch definitely has some real solid pros that he offers to ironically enough, pro football teams. But I just think that, you know, he could potentially come back and try to be more of a complete defensive end in terms of maybe getting a little bit better in the rush defense department. And it would be decisions similar to kind of what Zach Pickens did back in 2021, where, again, he could have gone ahead and left South Carolina and been maybe a mid-round you know, draft pick, which would have been maybe third, fourth, or fifth round. Or he could come back and try to elevate his game in certain areas. I think it's the same case with Jordan Birch here. And for those reasons, I do think he should come back. But again, as I mentioned earlier, it is, of course, his decision and his only at the end of the day. All right, now moving on from all the talks surrounding South Carolina's preparations for the Gator Bowl, some of the players' upcoming decisions on whether or not they're going to go pro Let's go away from all that stuff at the end of today's show, and let's bring up a hypothetical question. I got something that I thought of when I was making up the script for this show today for all of you, and this is the question that I have. If South Carolina were to defeat Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl, which scenario is most likely to occur in 2023? And I have three different answers that you could choose from. Option number one, the Gamecocks are a preseason top 15 team in just one of the two major polls. So maybe the USA Today coaches poll or the Associated Press preseason top 25 poll. Option number two, the Gamecocks are projected to finish second in the SEC East at SEC Media Days. 
And then the final option is the Gamecocks finish August, the month of August, with a top 10 recruiting class. And we could use this based on 24-7 sports composite rankings, or you can use On3's consensus rankings, you know, whichever ranking system you want to use. But those are the three options that you have for the question I just asked. So take a few seconds for yourself and see which answer you would come up with. And while you're thinking about that question, I'll go ahead and tell you all what my answer to this question is and why I think that's the case. I think if the Gamecocks were to defeat the Fighting Irish in the Gator Bowl, that in 2023, by the end of August, I think South Carolina would have a top 10 recruiting class. I truly believe that. And there's a few different reasons why I think this would be the case. We've talked about this before, of course. The recruiting calendar and the way that sort of recruiting plays out now in the sport of college football is drastically different from even the way it was just three, four, five years ago in this sport. You've got so many high-profile players now more than ever that are not just committing, but also signing their national letter of intent in mid-December. They're no longer waiting all the way till early February to make their final call. you got a lot of guys that are getting it done and over with in mid-December, and you've got a lot of players now that are committing in the previous spring, the spring leading into when they need to make their final decision, and the summer preceding their senior year of high school football. You are seeing all of this play out at a much higher frequency than it ever did in the previous decade. So that's one reason why. Another reason why is you got to think about this as well. When Shane Beamer and this coaching staff joined South Carolina's football program in the 2020 offseason, they, of course, were behind the eight ball in the 2021 recruiting class. And you look back at the perspective rankings for that recruiting class on pretty much every single major recruiting service website, South Carolina did not rank very well at all. I mean, it was rated as one of the worst recruiting classes in school history. Now, I'm not going to dive into all that, and quite honestly, it's not fair to hold that against Shane Beamer, who literally took the job about a month and a half before things completely finalized with the February National Signing Day. The 2022 recruiting class, based on the ranking system, was a top 25 recruiting class. 2023, pretty much everyone is now in the fold except for Xavion Hardy because of some issues with the NCAA Clearinghouse and Maybe potentially Nicholas Harbour or maybe someone else even pops up just out of nowhere and ends up joining this class by the end of this cycle. But right now, South Carolina is on track to finish with probably a top 18 or at the worst top 20 recruiting class based on some of these recruiting service websites. And now we get into 2024. South Carolina, as I've mentioned before, they are in the fold for several big time prospects. And here's just a few that I'm going to name off the top of my head real quick. Cam Pringle. Offensive tackle from here in South Carolina. Josiah Thompson, offensive tackle from here in South Carolina. Heaven Brown Schuler, defensive tackle out of Atlanta, Georgia. You got guys like Braden Lee from the DMV region. Dylan Stewart from up there in the DMV region. Justin Green, who's considered a blue chip prospect on the defensive line. Wendell Gregory, who is strongly considering South Carolina. Mazio Bennett from Greenville. You've got a plethora of of highly rated guys who aren't just considering South Carolina. In the case of a lot of the guys that I just mentioned, as of this current moment, you could say South Carolina is leading for them. And for South Carolina, just again, almost three years ago now, 
to finish with a two-win season in the COVID pandemic year. To fast forward now to present day, and they are setting themselves up to potentially go on an unbelievable run in the high school rankings in 2023. It is a credit to Shane Beamer what the staff have done. It is a credit to how well this staff, how good they are at building relationships with these kids. Because it's been mentioned before, it's one of the oldest, it's everything now these days becomes cliches, quite honestly, after just a couple weeks. But here's a brand new one. Kids can see through fluff. Kids can see through all the lies that coaches feed them. Now, that doesn't mean that every single kid makes their decisions purely based off that. But there are more prospects now than ever before that the majority of the reasoning behind their decision is they want to play for coaches they're comfortable playing for. Of course, a lot of these kids want to win at a high level as well, and they want to compete at the highest levels of college football. And guess what? When you consider all that with coaching relationships and how much they're going to take care of those kids, South Carolina now aces all three of these aspects. They're showing that you can win here. The staff already, I mean, it speaks for itself what they offer to these kids and how much they are going to help them grow both on and off the field. Another old cliche now in the sport of football. So my point being with mentioning all this is um, I think that next summer, as we've seen with Shane Beamer now multiple times at South Carolina, Shane Beamer is one of the kings of summer recruiting in college football now. He is somebody that once he gets a bunch of these kids on campus, they come here on officials. The proverbial red carpet is rolled out for them and their families. They come and tour the facilities. They come and talk to the coaches. They get to talk to the players without the coaches being there. They're in a bunch of group chats and messaging one another. I think that when you combine all of this with what they have done up to this point in just the 2022 season, if South Carolina knocks off a national historic brand in this sport in Notre Dame on Friday afternoon, I mean, it's going to be like Rocket Man by Elton John could not keep up with how much momentum that South Carolina is building right now with their football program. And I think you would see that by the end of next August. So needless to say, that is what I think the answer would be to the question of which scenario is most likely to happen if the Gamecocks were to defeat Notre Dame in the Gator Bowl. What would your answer be to that question? Is your answer maybe one that I did not bring up on today's show? What are your thoughts on Notre Dame's defense? What do you think South Carolina's offense should do to attack them? And lastly, what are your thoughts on Jordan Birch and his impending decision on whether or not he will go to the NFL draft? Let me know your thoughts down below in the comments section. If you're watching today's show on YouTube, you can also shoot me a direct message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to your direct message as quickly as I see it. And once again, don't forget to make Locked On Sports Today your second watch or listen now that you have watched or listened to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. But once again, y'all, that does it for me on today's show. I hope y'all have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast.